Welcome back, folks, to the Get a Grip on Lighting podcast. On today's show, we're interviewing Jason F. Chambry, BES, Manager Energy Services at Oz Electric here in Toronto, Canada. Yeah, that's right. We're getting a little Canadian yeah. today on the show. Over the, last, over the last 17 years, Jason has been a leader in providing turnkey retrofits amounting to millions of dollars worth of savings that have garnered millions of incentive uh, dollars for clients across Ontario. He's done educational seminars at George Brown College, ACMO, the Association of Condominium Managers of Ontario, um, trade shows, seminars. He's a trailblazer in multi-residential energy retrofit market, being one of the first to introduce occupancy sensors technology to garages over 15 years ago. Yeah, we're going to argue about who did that first in a minute. But before, <laughs> before we do, we've got to get crazy, Greg Eric. We've got to go to tcpi.com, the crazy folks. We do, and here's one that's crazy for you. Many commercial fixtures funnel light straight down toward the floor, right? Leaving you to fill in the gaps. What does TCP do? They come out with your QTL fixture that eliminates shadows and dark cave-like areas in your showroom, warehouse, retail space. They have aisle lighters that are V-shaped. They have strip lights. They have high bays that allow you to angle the light where you need it. And if you're in an aisle, you need it on the product, not on the floor, but on the product so you can pick and see. And the V-shaped Aisle lighter from Q TCP QTL is perfect for that. Direct the light where it's needed most, not on the floor. Get crazy with TCPI.com and, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's right. Get educated, get associated. LC exam coming up soon, Greg Eric, in November. For all the peeps out there, get your LC. Go to ncqlp.org. What's happening, Jason? Nothing much, my friend. Big fan of TCP, by the way. Fine product. Yeah, it's a great company. That's good. And I love Elision too. He's he's such. I love personalities, and that guy's got. I don't know. Maybe Greg Eric has a better personality than Elision. Yeah. Not many. <laughs> no way. <laughs> I've never eaten mercury in front of people like he has. So stick with yeah, that. Remember when he used to eat those little mercury pills all the time? Oh my. But that's not methyl mercury, Ellis. That's elemental <laughs> mercury that goes right through you. Yeah, that's a trick. But anyway, let's let's hope you're right. Let's hope you're right. I just remember. <laughs> Always hitting each other with those old fluorescent tubes as kids. Oh, that was man, always that was fun. fun. We used to do it in the yeah. warehouse here. I used to do a thing yeah. where I would, I would, I would get when a new person started at Atlas. I was a wild man back in the old days. I would oh, get. Oh, I, I recall uh, those old days. <laughs> I would get a safety coated um, fluorescent yep. tube. Yeah. And I would walk in and I would smash it on the desk and scare the shit out of them. <laughs> Welcome to the team. <laughs> <laughs> Clean up aisle oh, one. Man. Smash, and it's like a bag of glass, and it's like, whoa, yeah, yeah. yeah. That's a Teflon-coated fluorescent too, brother. Lesson one. Yeah. Anyway. Now you know. At least it was coated. You know, at least it was coated. So we used to hit each other over the back, and he did leave the line across oh, the yeah. back of the actual. Crazy. Yeah. We weren't very smart. We There's too many smart. lighting dorks in this call. Greg, why don't yeah, you fire probably. up some questions here, buddy? Get crazy. <laughs> All right. So, Ozolite. So, you guys are an electrical contractor. Is that the story? Exactly, exactly. So we do, you know, base building electrical to energy retrofits to EV, EV infrastructure, a lot of service work as well, uh, you know, residential, commercial, ICI, everything under the sun. Got uh, offices in BC and Seattle and beautiful Concord, Ontario. So yeah, we've been around for quite some time. 1991, I believe, is when we were founded, when I was uh, a wee young lad. Yeah, I won't say how old I was, but uh, <laughs> you know, some fine albums oh, came out in, in that year. But uh, yeah, good year. I'm with you. Premier Lighting was 91 as well, so we're about the same oh, nice. time. Nice. Um, now you guys are 
doing uh, what percentage of the projects you do are lighting related if you could say i mean i don't know it might be hard well as a part of the like when we're doing let's say a new condo development and we're doing the base electrical we'll carry you know the lighting for the entire condominium and suite common area everything and we do a lot of condos and and me on my end i started off in in you know 2005 with provident energy management and and they were absorbed by Oz Electric uh, about six years ago, and I, I jumped over to Oz Electric then. But, uh, you know, Oz, Oz does uh, quite a bit of lighting. Uh, on my end, I do a lot of the retrofit work and beautiful uh, lighting upgrades and all that fun incentive work as well, and a lot of recycling, which, uh, Michael, I'm sure you're aware of. We do a lot of recycling as well. Uh, so no more breaking tubes over people because I have to recycle <laughs> everything. No more fun. It's all about <laughs> certificates now, so yeah. But right. we do quite a bit, quite a bit. All right, and then for the new construction piece of it versus uh, existing buildings, would you say a percentage on that that you're doing electrical work is? Oh, the, the, the majority is new construction. That's our that's our gravy, right? We do a lot of also hospitals. I forgot to mention that we do like Mount Sinai, a lot of hospitals as well. But the majority is is new construction for sure. That's our that's our bread and butter. How many spark plugs you got working for you guys in, in the Concord office? In the Concord like, office, yeah. if I had to guesstimate, uh, I'd say about anywhere between seven hundred to a thousand. Right. So uh, Jason's pretty working, large union shop. So yeah, Jason's embedded in a uh, union electrical shop as the lighting manager. How many people actually work on the in the let's call it the energy services department, which includes those EV charges you were talking about and some other things. Um, how many people are non-electricians are working in that department in sales and in projects and all that sort of thing? Uh, I would go, if I had to guesstimate, uh, under 50. 50. So, so yeah, Oz is a big company. A... So you have oh, 700 yeah. electricians working for you guys. You're a union shop. How mm -hmm. difficult is it to compete in the retrofit world, which is so price-driven, with union electricians? Great question. Uh, here's the issue I've always had. Um, inevitably everybody grabs you know three to five quotes well guess what uh, when you do that it's a race to the bottom as i'm sure you gents are aware anytime you have a race to the bottom you end up with a price point that's really aggressive now when you do that as the end user you're thinking you're getting the best bang for your buck because you got an aggressive price but guess what as the person executing the project they have to find a way to make decent revenue out of that price point that they've given you well, you can't cut down on how many lamps you're putting in or how many ballasts you're putting in. All you can do is, is find ways to cut corners. Sometimes it's not pulling permits. I'm not saying, you know, everybody does that. But what I've seen in the past is, is when I've revisited sites that I had to fix the damage that was done by aggressive pricing, they end up cutting corners on what they're using, on permits they're pulling, on whether or not they're recycling. So... At the end of the day, a lot of these contractors aren't going to do work for anything that's less than 15 points, let's say. So they have to find a way to hit that magic number. And sometimes it's the quality of the work that's given and the actual retrofit that's done. Uh, that's that's the way they make up that that uh, that percentage they need. And, and at the end of the day, the end user thinks they get the best price, but really they're getting a mediocre work at an aggressive price. So if you're into that, then great. But I'd rather have a higher price and stand by the product and give what's best for the end user because i always look at everything through the eyes of the end user so the multi-residential housing 
market, the condos, it seems to be mm-hmm. the worst for this. It, like <laughs> we, you, you go to a job and you're, and you're, you're, you're you know, I've seen, you know, LED part deux, part two, like they did their LEDs and you open it up and mm-hmm. um, they've added fixtures. The, there's uh, electrical deficiencies all over the place, even with the, how the pipe is installed. Like you'll see pipes mm-hmm. going across open air over parking lot garages where people can yes. jump up and grab the pipe. And, and yeah. it seems like there's something about the condominiums, the multi-residential housing, where they seem to think that, you know, the electrical work is secondary to or not that important. Anyone can do it. And it just seems there's so many condos out there that have a multitude of deficiencies after doing lighting retrofits. What Reach is it on, about brother. the condos? What is it about the condos that they just keep getting, making these bad, bad decisions? I think I just uh, pretty much highlighted it by mentioning they get three to five quotes. And unlike other places where they throw out the lowest quote and they throw out the highest quote and they find out what the difference is between the middle guys, they just go for the lowest quote. And they think, hey, I'm getting LED and I'm getting it for an aggressive price. Fantastic. Meanwhile, I've, I face this time and time again with, with let's say, a direct fit LED lamp. They're putting direct fit, let's say, a T8 LED lamp on a seven-year-old ballast or nine-year-old ballast that's got 87, 60 hours of use annually for seven years. And they throw in a new lamp on that fixture and say, hey, you've upgraded to LED. Fantastic. Guess what? That ballast, it's already got a lot of hours of usage. And you fine. You put a fancy paint on an old crappy car. It's still an old crappy car. So I that's mean, some that of the could stuff be debated. I mean, that's more of a maintenance play. Like if you want to just maintain your lights or whatever, but I agree with you that the best project is that. Let me, so, but aren't these buildings, like think about this, aren't these buildings professionally managed? I'll take give you an example. I was working with another contractor on a job. The contractor uh, went down to do some work in the parking garage. Um, good electrical contractor, not Oz, but a good electrical contractor in Toronto. They noticed so the deficiency. <laughs> Non-union shop, but anyway. So they, mm-hmm. the Electro Safety Authority comes in for an inspection to look at other things and then notices all mm-hmm. the problems with the parking garage. Okay? This is a, re- <laughs> this is a true story. So it's like, oh, okay, God. how much for the fixtures, all this sort of stuff. I give him a quote. He gives the, the company a quote. They go out for bid. The property manager comes back. They gave the job to the same contractor who did the original job because they had the lowest price. Like, how is Are you that? sure that's why they gave it to them, though? I mean, are you insinuating and that there may be some malfeasance or corruption up. going on? I mean... Uh, who knows? Who knows? How do you make that, that mistake twice? How could you possibly award really? the job to the same contractor... Exactly. ...who originally... Exactly. ...that the reason why you're redoing the job in the first place? And, um, and a professionally managed condominium is professionally managed if they listen to the management. Mm-hmm. If the true. board decides to, it's like Family Feud. Yeah. I don't know if you ever watched that program. I know you're big into <laughs> uh-huh. game shows, but there's one <laughs> point where everybody on the team gets to give out an idea, and the captain gets to pick and choose which idea is the best, or he goes on his own. And I see that a lot. A board of directors will take the advice of the manager and sometimes go on their own. And I think that's not the best route to take. I I appreciate that they, they do their due diligence. Maybe they know, but if a manager has been managing sites for years and years and they have the know-how and the knowledge, maybe you should just put your faith in them that, you know, that they know what's going on and maybe you should just, you know, follow their lead. But a lot of condos don't. And, and then Michael, that's what happens is, is you make that same mistake twice. 
And I, I think from my experience, I have quite a bit in that market selling, not new construction. Mm -hmm. I've done very little of that, but it's existing buildings. Is it, It's kind of like a temporary mindset in a way. And maybe that's why. It's because the property managers are, we have this contract for two years. We're going to get the lowest price we can. And I, I see property management change all the time. I see the either the person or the whole company. And so is, is that the issue here with this type of customer? Is it a, a temporary mindset? I don't know. It's, I think there's a ton of variables, Michael. You could probably speak to this. There's tons of variables, well, especially I mean, with a condo one. When it's just a different animal, you've got a board of directors that's there for maybe three years. Residents might be there for maybe five years. So they're not thinking 10 years down the road. They're thinking, what's the low-hanging fruit? What's quick and dirty? What's going to get them a, a you know, healthy incentive and fast savings at an aggressive price as opposed to what's the long-term goal for the condo? What's best for everybody? You know, it, it, there's a lot of variables there. Michael, I don't know what what, uh, well, what your view is. Well, I asked the questions on this show, Jason, but yes, I'll take that <laughs> <laughs> No, but I, like, okay, let, let's let's parallel the difference here. I think this is actually an yep. excellent conversation to for the Get a Grip Online podcast. Okay, how many apartment buildings do you do? I have done a lot of apartment buildings, and I find mm -hmm. the apartment building management much shrewder, much, make much better choices than condos yes. seem to make. And, you know, they, they do, you know, they're like, get this guy out of here. Where's your electrical contractor's license? No, I subcontract everything out. Don't worry. Uh, you know, bud. Sorry, man. So I find the, the, the apartment buildings. What I think that the fundamental issue to me in the multi-residential space is that the, the residents and the, and the management are thinking in a residential mindset. Okay. But a condominium, a parking garage in a condominium or a corridor in a condominium is one of the most extreme lighting applications you can find. I mean, if you're taking a look at a parking garage of a condo, and there's some ones that I know that are open air, so they're covered, but they're open air, okay? Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. that, that parking garage, the lights are going to be on 24-7. They're going to be experiencing extreme cold. They're going to be experiencing extreme heat. And they're going to have wind shear, dust dirt, but they're thinking in a, in a residential mindset. Like you go out to Square One Mall and they're open air, open deck parking garage. They're thinking this is an extreme application, lighting application. Mm -hmm. a, yeah. a condo board is thinking in terms of Home Depot. Well, the, what is Home Depot's program for this? They're not thinking about it in terms, this is a very significant, severe lighting application we're dealing with. The second thing, and I don't know, this is controversial, I don't know if you believe in this, but the idea of microwave sensors on individual fixtures and corridors, I find that unbelievably how, how fast people do that. Where, um, you know, there's the Ontario Building Code, there's the Toronto Building Code layered on top of the, uh, Toronto Municipal Code layered on top of the Ontario Building Code. and Individual fixtures on sensors is a violation of both codes, right? And you, you have tons of condos in Toronto that are putting in these one-for-one uh, uh, -one retrofits, a 24-7 application, okay? And it, it, the light turns off, you know, someone comes out of their hallway, they're clicking it down the hallway. It's like a, there's no system in place that turns on the lights in the whole space, according to the OBC. There's all sorts of things that are happening like this because people are in this residential mindset. This is my home. This is not a single family home. This building has very complicated systems that mm -hmm. um, from chillers to lighting that need to be treated by, like you said, by professional management, people that know how to run a huge, some of these condos, a thousand people, like the, 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 oh, yeah. there's, there's condos in Etobicoke that are bigger than small towns in, in Ontario. Like more people live in these condos than in some small towns. And oh, that's true. It's true. You know, 
and they're being treated as if it's like that. That's not a big deal. The final thing that's interesting is I think a lot of the reserve fund studies are done wrong, because when they're putting in these purpose-built LED light fixtures, which hey, some are good, some are bad. It would take it job by job. I'm not here to tell people yeah. you know what's up, but they're assuming a 40-year life or a 25-year life. And they're building that into the reserve fund study. Meanwhile, there's the, and, and the fixture was 50 bucks off the ship from China. <laughs> I'm not kidding you, dude. Like, this is what you're, oh, yeah, they're going to last forever. We'll put it in the reserve fund study for 25-year life. That fixture is never going to last 25 years in that parking garage. Never, Jason. So No, I, I agree. And also, it, it's based on hours of, of usage annually, right? You're talking a garage that's 24-7. You do the math. Even if a fixture is good for 50,000 hours, you do the math. How many years you're going to get out of that, ideally? 50. It's, the number's not 50, I'll tell you that much. How do you, get light, how do you get union electricians to do lighting work? That's a tough nut, man. A lot of those guys are badasses. Like, like they're seriously hard. Like, these are the guys that shut down the highways and do the lights on. Like, mm-hmm. they're, you know, they're badasses. Like, I, I, like, there's a level to me. The union guys... You know, you can fight about unions, whether you like unions or not. I don't really mm-hmm. care about that argument. It's not my problem. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, but I find the union guys are the best. And then the, mm-hmm. there's non-union shops that are as good, okay, as the non as the union shops. But then as you go mm-hmm. from there, you go down, down, down until a point where there's like kind of like lighting technicians or something, mm-hmm. right? And then they're the ballast changers or whatever you're doing. How do you get mm-hmm. union guys to change uh, you know, whatever, 40 ballasts a day or whatever. Do they, don't they hate that work? Well, I wouldn't say they're lining up to do that work, <laughs> but they're also not doing it every day, right? So we mix and match who does what job. And, and lucky for us, I, uh, here's a little baseball analogy for you, gents. Um, nobody likes the Yankees until you're on the Yankees. Then you love the Yankees. You know what I mean? Uh, no electrician, you're right. A union electrician might not want to necessarily do a lighting retrofit, but when you're on a good team, i.e. Oz, I can, I can speak, I'm, I know there's a lot of other good companies. When you're on a good team and, and they need you to do the work, you do the work because you're on a good team and you're a good player. And that's how it goes. We're all a part of the same team and we do the work. You might not like it as much as another job, but you're going to do it. And that's kind of what we do here. I, I, I've been doing lighting retrofits for, I don't know, 16, 17 years. I don't like necessarily going to a condo and counting every light in a condo. But I know I have to do that because that's my role and that's where I fit into the team. And that's going to bring, re- bring revenue to all of us. So I'll do my part. And, and an electrician is no different. They might not like doing a retrofit in a parking garage that's got, you know, traffic that's not looking around that, you know, they're, they're having to keep their head on a swivel while they're working on, on an electrical fixture. But they'll do it because that's their role and their team players. So I, I definitely get where you, what you're getting at. A lot of these guys, they're high-level electricians. They might not, you know, it might be above, below their skill set, but they'll still do it because they're good team players. And, and knock on wood, we've got guys like that, so and girls like that. Now, I assume being an electric con- contractor, your job is to sell labor in a way. You also sell yeah, product. Do you ever sell? Yeah. yeah, do you ever just sell the product? Uh, yeah, we, we do. I, I do a lot of quite a bit of supply work more now than I did in the past. But uh, we're starting to get more on, on, on the supply end where we'll just we have preferred clients that they just need fixtures and I'll help them find the fixtures they need. And, and it's as simple as that. They'll come to me and say, OK, I want something that aesthetically that looks like this. That's going to give me the lumens output I need. And my budget's this and I'll help them fill the 
fill the uh, fill the void they need. That's about it. If if a client, regardless of what they need, if they're going to reach out to you for help, then I would think you're obligated to help, even if it's not technically your wheelhouse. Here's a, a tough, fun one for you that maybe you don't want to answer, but I'm going to ask you. Um, do you get to deal directly with lighting manufacturers, or do you always have to go through distribution? Uh, I go through distributors. I'm not going <laughs> to. Yeah, I go through distributors. There you go. You got a little trap door there. What is this, pitfall? I'm just making sure. I'm just making sure. A Atari joke for you guys. I don't know if you ever guys played Atari. There's a little Atari yep. joke for you. So you all all through distribution, so you value that relationship. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. I, I see who's on this podcast. Thank you. <laughs> this is the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors, bud. There you <laughs> go. Taking care there of you so, go. But I mean, it, it, talk it, about I, the I, channel. Let's talk about the channel for a minute. Yeah. 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 Go ahead, Greg. I mean, you. But you, my my question was going to be: Do manufacturers ever approach you and say, "Hey, oh, sure you know, we do. have all sure this"? They do. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Well, being in, in a company of our size and knowing that. We do as many, you know, new developments that we do. Of course, they're knocking on our door because they want us to push their agenda, and I don't blame them. But it's it's if you open the door to every person trying to push their agenda, inevitably you're going to end up with some mediocre products. So we keep those doors, you know, pretty tight, and whoever that whoever we end up carrying for whatever project we do, you know, it's going to be a, a reputable company and a reputable product because at the end of the day, we're not a company that could fold up shop and walk away. We're, we're we're going to be around for the next 20 years, God willing. So everything we install is going to be top notch and we'll be there to support it after the fact. So, And we, as far as the support goes, you're buying from distribution. If you ever run mm -hmm. into an issue uh, with warranty or whatever, do you go to the distributor and say, handle this for me? Uh, sometimes we do. And sometimes I'll fill in the void. It's all dependent on, on, on what the client needs and how big the issue is but usually it's just minor stuff and and it's of no real issue and we keep a lot of stuff in-house we don't just order what's ready for the job we always keep extra so lo and behold if something were to fail uh you know it's like with anything you make a million of something a couple of them are gonna crap the bed so we make sure we keep a couple extra on on hand in our warehouse which is a pretty substantial warehouse and we'll we'll utilize that to fill the void if anything does fail when the three of us started in this business, call it 20 years ago, whatever it is, it's it's mm. enough time now. Straight out of elementary school, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever it is, 20 years, 15 years, whatever mm. it is, it's it's about, it's it's over a decade, you know, whatever. We're talking about mm. almost 40 decade, 40 uh, four decades of experience on this show right now in this game. When we Goodness. started in this, there was a, a strict channel, right? You had manufacturers, you had distributors, you had your agents, you had your specifiers. You had your contractors and everything flowed through like this. And over that, over the last 10 years, we've seen that um, obliterate. It got blown up. I'm seeing, I'm starting to feel it kind of reforming itself again, where manufacturers are starting to see that dealing with contractors is not actually their best business model. You see, there are still some other ones out there, you know, mm -hmm. um, Sylvania sold off, Sylvania Lighting Services, um, they're going back to their basics again. Are you, from the electrical contractor perspective, are you seeing, because 2017, there's, there's, the channel's gone. Are you seeing that channel start to reform again? You know what? <laughs> I actually do, actually. It's funny that you bring that up. I, I, I do see that starting to happen. I don't know if, it's, if the longevity's there, if it's going to stay like that, or if it's just a blip. But uh, I do see that. I, I, I can't speak for anybody else, but I, I do see that. Hmm. And what is the value for a contractor 
this is going to be an interesting question for Neil. What 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 value or no? I'll ask a better way. How can an how can a distributor give you value? What can they do for you? Who's the candle in this one, gents? You. I'm asking you, Jason. You yeah, oh, you're, the, you're, you're the contractor. Oh. You're the electrical yeah. contractor. How can it? What What is it? A distributor can do to earn your business, like not Oz specifically, but a, a large electrical shop like yourself. There's a lot of lighting guys in Nailed that are listening to this, and they'd love to be doing business with you, even if they got 10 percent of your business or whatever. Well, right? you know what? I think I think it's it's like with anything. It's teamwork and support. You know, if 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 things go awry and I need your help and and I get your voicemail and you call me two days later, what good is that to me? Mm-hmm. But if if we're in this together, then we're in this together. And and if something goes awry, which rarely doesn't, but if something does go awry, we're in it together. We'll fix it together. And that's how you build a team. And 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 I think that's the sticking point is is if we can have a relationship where it's mutually mutually beneficial and and we have each other's back, then that's what I think you want. And as far as, you know, going back a little bit to the warranty side of things, um, do you guys cover your labor portion of that or are you only working with product? Uh, we cover labor. If we put it in, we take care of it. Even if it's a products issue? If it's a products issue, I haven't had too many issues on that end, but we've okay. taken care of it in the past. And it's all about relationship building, right? I don't want to point fingers and... and leave the end user hanging because I don't want to eat the cost on, you know, $300 worth of, of labor. I'd rather help the client get what they need. Cause next thing you know, if they do need a service call or anything down the road, they'll remember who helped them. Yep. And so you're, you're primarily selling energy saving and of that is, is lighting still a majority or you, you mentioned EV solar. Are you getting yep. in a lot into that? Uh, we, yeah, we've, we've done, Oz has done a lot of solar work in the past and we still do and we will continue to do that. We're doing quite a bit of EV as well. But yeah, when it, when it comes to lighting, we do, a lot of it's based off of energy savings, uh, you know, incentive procurement as well, even though that's it's dwindled over the years. I've been doing this since, I don't know, back in the day of BBP, which is, you know, incentive program from many moons ago when I had a lot more hair. That's the um, Better Bitter, and, and, Better Buildings Partnership. I think it was 2003 exactly. it was started. Yeah, that's, I remember. Yeah, that yeah. Brother. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. I like to drop acronyms to show that I'm in the know. But uh, but we've been doing, you know, energy-fueled lighting retrofits for, for some time. But now, I, don't, I can't speak for Michael, but now I see a lot more of lighting retros, retrofits fueled by quality of light. And, and providing the light that the client needs because they've been friggin' squinting forever and, and they're, they're fed up of it. It's great to have energy savings, granted, but let's be able to see what we're doing. And, and I, I think we've gone to a point where everybody's been reducing lamps, reducing wattage, energy savings, energy savings. And that, next thing you know, everybody's squinting, bumping at the walls and saving energy. But you, you need to balance the two. You know what I mean? You need to save energy, granted, but you have to be able to see what you're doing and you have to be able to provide the light quality they need and and hopefully people start going that road again i michael what do you think of that do you, do you, are you finding that more that people are weaning away from energy savings and going to quality of light i know guy greg's hot right now so i'm gonna just throw it over to greg what do you got uh, i'm gonna i, I want to answer that but first i want to ask you give us an example of of a job that you did where it was about the quality of light you don't have to say names or whatever but just okay, general well, well we had we had an office space that had the old egg crate uh, troffers and beautiful, beautiful YouTube T12s. And, mm. and 
you know, magnetic ballast, of course, because what else are you going to fuel that with? But uh, they've been utilizing this light fixture for the last, I don't know, 20, 20 to 30 years, let's say. And they were of the mindset that it gives off light. It's not giving them issue. That's okay. And then we retrofitted just one small area because they had failed ballast. And, and I told them, like, why are we you know, putting lipstick on a pig here. Let's, let's do this the right way. Let's put in some, you know, flat panel LED troffers and let's get some nice light in here. So we did that one area and lo and behold, initially they're like, well, it's too bright. Well, it's not actually too bright. You've been squint squinting for so long. When you finally get the light out, but you need, you think it's too bright. And lo and behold, like with every lighting retrofit you do, you wait a couple of days, their eyes adjust and they're like, oh, wow. Let's do the rest of the building. And, and that's numerous times I've done that where they've just, they're of the mindset that if it ain't broke, don't fix it. But realistically, the light output is not a fit, is not sufficient. So it is broke. The lights are on, but you're, it's not enough lumens to get the job done. So that's one example of, of you know, we did a one little of, area and next thing you know, do the yeah. whole place. A lot of the, um, a lot of people don't know. There was like a, from 1985 or something like that to maybe 1999, there was like a, a, a paracube boom where people were ripping out um, K-12 acrylic lenses and dropping in these paracubes. That was yeah. directly responsible for the spike in seasonal affective disorder. A lot of people don't realize that because they I were doing it. That. Yeah, they were doing it because of the CRT screen. So there was glare coming off the CRT screens that was causing eye strain. That was real. Mm -hmm. And so they dropped these lenses in. And what happened is that they would push all the light straight down out of the fixture. And it's because the lighting industry is so focused and still is focused on ver on horizontal foot candles, right, or lux, like put your light meter like this. And so if you went to those offices, you would see all the walls are dark. Right, but when you're talking about that guy walking around bumping into walls and all that, humans do not walk around like this. Okay? They're looking at walls and when walls are dark, the place seems dark, no matter how many foot candles you have. This is also the effect of metal halide where you had that that flashlight effect below a metal halide fixture and you'd look at the wall and you would see these like arcs of curves like this of metal halide. You'd put in your high bay fluorescence or your high bay LEDs and all of a sudden there would be this line of light. You pull out your lux meter and the, there's actually less light in the in the horizontal plane of the of the factory or the warehouse, but people would be under the would be under the impression that there was significantly more light and that's because the light is on the vertical plane where it where it's actually more important um but so you know in terms of me and my experience like i don't present to boards anymore condominium boards i can't deal with that anymore greg and jason i just like not, going even, there not and, even for entertainment value yeah I, maybe i'll do it again for fun okay but i mean i can't do that so i have people that you know i have some employees that will go to those board meetings and support those people and treat them with respect and all that. But I have a hard time answering those kinds of questions. I get really frustrated and I show it because mm -hmm. I'm just like, come on, dude, this guy, you know, this guy's telling you the light's going to last a hundred thousand hours. He's only been in business for 14,000 hours. Okay. Note to like, self, let's play poker. You and I, yeah, by the way, if oh, you can't yeah, keep we'll a, get it going. A poker. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so in terms of quality of light, I haven't seen that yet. I feel it. Um, mm -hmm. One of my guys took the uh, bios training, Greg, for the uh, oh yeah, he took the training Human course. Toucher. Yeah, and uh, he took it. He's really excited about that. And you know, do I think there's going to be a boom there? I think the most, the biggest opportunity we have right now, as an industry, as a place for growth and for and for uh, doing what's right, 
and doing by the environment is outside and, and fixing the dark sky problems that we have, the darkness issues we've created with LED. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. think that, I think the industry is not ready yet. I think we need more education. We need more training. We need more awareness. And, but I think that that area for me is where I'm passionate and I really want to see it happen. I haven't been able to make it happen. I mean, I'm the host of the Starving for Darkness podcast and I cannot sell the dark sky project. I, I have been trying for so long. Every, almost every outdoor lighting project we do, Greg, I talk to the people about considering lower Kelvin temperature, considering cutoff wall packs and this sort of thing. And it's very difficult so far. We got to get the message out. So I haven't seen it yet. I feel like there's like a swelling, a ground swelling in the industry. I don't feel it from the people outside, the, the, the users of the light yet. I still feel the addiction to energy savings, the addiction to rebates is still there. The bean counters are still in charge. Well, of the well then, then this new uh, incentive adjustment that's happened where they removed the exterior lighting incentive, that would help your cause, would it not? The, the, the incentives are all perverse now. So what they, in Ontario, they, they, they're over-incented um, uh, purpose-built LED light fixtures. They've under-incented T8 tubes. Uh, T LEDs are way better for the environment. It does, it's not always the right choice, but ripping out a light fixture, and if it's not necessary, you know, there's sometimes it's necessary. Okay, but it's not it's not better for the environment. It's worse. Okay, so um, you know the the incentives are perverse. I'm glad they got rid of the outdoor in- lighting incentives because it was creating light pollution everywhere. People were mm-hmm. it was all based on wattage, and people were taking the highest wattage LED wall pack they could get, whitest as possible, and smashing them all over the southern Ontario. <laughs> and it's gross. Like you look at these jobs, the light is literally traveling across the street and lighting up the parking lot next door. That's how bad some of these jobs. Because are. if you look at it, if you look at it from the end user's perspective, let's say they're going from a thousand watt metal halide, they can go with a particular LED, but they would maximize what they put in just to get the incentive mm-hmm. based off of that larger LED, regardless of what they needed, regardless of if they're adding way too much lumens to what the they need. They just wanted that, let's say three hundred or four hundred dollars per fixture, magic number. So that's uh, yeah, it was counterproductive. These utilities hire all manner of consultants that don't know shit about lighting, okay? If they actually wanted you to... You don't deal with them, so I have no comment. Zip. Yeah. <laughs> um, but, the, like, if the IESO wanted to make an effective uh, um, incentive program, they'd say, hey, Jason, hey, Michael, what should we do? And in about two hours, we'd have an amazing incentive program oh, for yeah. them. Oh, yeah. Okay, oh, like here you want more. Yeah, like come on, get the, the bean counters, get these engineers, like these people that don't know very much about lighting. And let's talk to the people that have been in the trenches for 20 years, have been filling out the paperwork. They know all the problems. Like, come on, get a grip. Mm. So I want to change gears, Greg, if that's okay. I want to talk a little bit yeah. about EV charging stations. I had a lot of big five-minute beef there. My my, my producer's probably going to text me and tell me to shut up. But um, EVs. One of the things I find the most intimidating about the deployment, okay, so selling EVs is a 10-point markup. Like there's no, there's not a lot of money in distribution on selling charging stations, whether it's ChargePoint, Bosch, whoever you, great companies, but there's not a lot of room. They're, they're taking it direct to market. Like you probably deal directly with ChargePoint or, or one of, or maybe you deal with Westburn, but Westburn's not putting it like 40 points on a charger. You know what I mean? It's like... What, I, what concerns me is the massive load increase on site. Like mm-hmm. each one of those chargers, if you put 10 chargers in, that's a massive load. Now, as an electrical contractor, that's not a problem for you. 
but are are your people quoting those upgrades to switch gear? Are you limiting the amount of chargers? Are you telling the condos that hey guys, you can only put so many chargers? How does that part of the process work on the EV charging side? For the multi-res application, yeah. what we usually what we usually do is go and do an actual load calculation. So we'll take a look at the the load of the building available load that we could utilize and we'll base the infrastructure off of that and utilizing intelligent charging like load sharing i i relate it to like the scales of justice right you need 80 percent. i only need 20 percent. we go both get away with it by you know mixing and matching if you do that across the the grid of the condo then you can have a, a lot of chargers and have them work effectively but once again it's it's just like with lighting you need the right contractors to do the right job if you go and just you know get three quotes you can have one contractor that's misdiagnosed how much load there is available and that's a recipe for disaster right there so it's it's a lot of it is hiring the right company to do the right assessment of the situation and then tailoring a solution based off of those findings and and i think that's that's that sweet spot you need to find out what the end user needs and then give them exactly that and hope that the board and and their professional manager if they listen to them help you know if, if they take their advice they'll get to that solution they need now i know now, the oh, go ahead greg yeah yeah I, I know it's going to depend on the application that you install the ev charger but are you finding the ones and i don't have the proper terminology for it but there's ones where you put in and anybody can plug in and use it. There's ones where you put in and people have to swipe a card to pay for mm -hmm. using it. Mm -hmm. if, if, if that's as easy as you can sum it up, which ones are you doing more often? Uh, it, it all depends the application. If it's, let's say, yeah. a parking lot with maximum usage, a lot of in and out travel, then obviously something you can just swipe a card and, and, and charge is the way to go. But then you run into issues where a person will leave their card there too long. And then it's an, an issue of getting getting them out of that spot because you can have a bottleneck of other people that need to utilize the charging capabilities, you know. And, and for for the big rush in multi-res was just to throw a couple of chargers in your visitor's parking. But guess what? If I'm a an owner of an EV and I want power for my car, I don't want to have to go to a, a, a visitor's parking spot and hope that it's empty and, you know, I have to worry about somebody hogging the spot. No, I want power to my to my parking spot and I want it now. And uh, that's that's what we're finding a lot of, right? And and it's a matter of do you want to be that first person in the condo that's to run power from the main switch gear all the way to your parking spot on the bottom corner P five? Guess what? Right. You got to scan and core four levels of garage. You got to run four hundred feet of conduit. Your your car chargers might be two grand, but the infrastructure and 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 ability to get to there's another eleven, and then you got to meter the actual charger so uh, a better company to be able to provide that turnkey solution inclusive of metering and, and and that's what we pride ourselves on and i know a lot of other companies do the same so we're in a good spot where a lot of companies are starting to understand what it takes to provide the proper solution and and the benefits the end user that's you know not spending six grand a year on on uh gas to travel out and about when they could spend eight to 800 to a thousand bucks on electricity you're saving five to six grand a year car costs 60 grand it pays for itself in 10 years so when you're building these new condominiums are you, you are installing it where each parking space can have an ev uh some it depends on municipality i know west it's it's a higher ratio of how much power you need to the spots uh I'm, I'd have to double check this, but I think some parts of Seattle, it's 100% power to every spot. 
I believe here is 20%. I'm not sure the numbers, but uh, for new construction, yeah, that's that's a part of the game is, is making sure there's power to the spots, chargers in the spots, and there's proper power sharing. And uh, what's interesting is the retrofit game. You can't bring additional power to the condo. If you tried to, it would be such a costly endeavor. So it's all about, you know, providing a solution that provides as many charging opportunities to the to the building as possible. And that's by designing properly, by utilizing load shedding and load sharing and, and all that fun stuff. And a lot of the chargers today are really intelligent and it does it internally. So it takes a lot of the guesswork out for sure, as opposed to just those old dumb chargers that, you know, charge at 100% all the time, whether you like it or not. So, And I think that's going to be the biggest hurdle. It obviously is, is all the existing buildings and trying to get it up, up to code so that people can have their own individual and easy access to it. And Mike and I did a show on it the other day. Like, I'm never going to buy one until I know I can go get it right now. Like I can get gas or I have mm. it myself. No, that's fair. You know, I'm that's never going to do it. I'm never going to wait for charging. That's just how I am. And I think how a lot ironic. of people are going to how ironic is it that we did all this work to save energy via all our retrofits and it was just to make room to be able to utilize that same energy to charge well, cars? Hang on, like hang, no, hang on, hang on. I went to yeah. the, did you go to the EV charging charging conference back in 2018 in Ottawa? I went to that. Uh, I, I went to I went to to multiple uh, right. conferences. I, I couldn't tell if it was it's all purple haze now. I didn't yeah. pre COVID. <laughs> uh, we're not going there. The president of <laughs> yeah, the, no, no, the, I don't, don't want to the, go there. The president of OPG. Okay, stood up at this conference and he said, under no uncertain terms, he said, Ontario does not have an energy shortage. In fact, we have an excess of clean energy. And if everyone in Ontario buys an electric car, the cost of electricity in Ontario will go down substantially. Okay, that's what he said. Why? Did you bite your lip? No, I was sitting there going, whoa, hang on. How come the Premier of Ontario isn't screaming this from the rooftops? You mean Ontario has so much clean nuclear energy that we have to pay other jurisdictions to take our clean nuclear energy? Like, what's going on here? And he's saying, like, look, if we get everyone to have an electric vehicle, the cost of energy will go down. The global adjustment on the, on the hydro bills in Ontario is to pay for the nuclear, mostly. That's mostly what it is. It's because nuclear is more expensive than natural gas or coal. Right, so the, the the cost of electricity is a North America wide commodity. It's whatever the, it is, and the cost of nuclear is fifteen cents a kilowatt hour, whatever. And they 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 put that in the global adjustment along with the incentives and the solar and the wind. But most of it's to keep those nuke plants running. Those things are carbon free, dude. There's no carbon in nuclear, and they're running and they're great. And they and Ontario doesn't have any fault lines. We got more electricity than we know what to do with. The other the other twenty percent is hydro. It's from the Niagara Falls. Like Canada, Ontario has so much clean electricity, it's ridiculous, and we have to pay to get rid of it. So if we didn't have to get rid of all of it and we stored it in our cars, this would be a boom. But do you hear Doug Ford ever talk about that? You ever hear Kathleen Wynne ever say that? No, it's all about how nasty Alberta is and how bad can. Mm-hmm. Listen, Quebec and Ontario are the two cleanest electricity jurisdictions in the world. End of the story. End of the story. There's nowhere in Europe that beats them. There's nowhere in the United States that beats them. There's nowhere in Asia and nowhere in South America. We're the best. So that should be being screamed from the rooftops. Anyway, I'm hot about that because there's an election coming up and I listen to these guys talk about carbon. I listened to my local debate last night and not one of the jamokes said Ontario has 90% clean electricity. 
Not one of them. They didn't say Quebec has 90% clean electricity. Like, what are you talking about, guys? You know, we have so much clean electricity, we don't even know what to do with it. But anyway, that's a whole other story. What I want to ask you about the, what I want to ask you about the EV, I'm super scared of the retrofit side of the e business, not as as a citizen, right? Because of the load demand and the complexity of these installations and how these condominiums behave, as we referenced earlier. And on top of that, that the uh, the electrical safety authority not inspecting every job. You understand what I mean? How I do we get to the, that? That that worries me too. If that's the case, yeah, they don't. Well, they do. They they issue their permit, but they don't always go to the jobs. They used to have the um. What is it? Uh, the authorized contractor program, ACP or whatever. Mm-hmm. But now that's gone, I think. And now, but they, they, they need to go and have a look at all of these EV charging installations. It, like a hard look by a solid inspector who's been trained on this. Mm-hmm. I'm super scared of fires and different things like that. You see things on the internet with these EV chargers not being wired right and getting overloaded. Um, the one that was, uh, I don't know if it's, I'm not an electrician, but the one that the set that was wired in series instead of in parallel so that all the energy was flowing through the one charger into the next one. And as they were charging, that one blew up. I don't know if you've of seen course. that one on the internet. Yeah, of course. But you know what? That leads me to believe they didn't pull a permit. It's it's not a suspect, anything suspect other than them not pulling a permit. And and I, I, I hazard to think it's that area where it's a race to the bottom. Where do they pull? Mm-hmm. Where do they uh, cut corners? I know. Let's not pull a permit. Let's uh, do it quick, down and dirty. Let's not use conduit. Let's just use BX where we can. Let's do whatever we can to save money and to create a larger margin. I think that might be <laughs> a prime example of that happening. And, and in all honesty, I've never been a fan of that race to the bottom. I'd rather step out of the race and, and let somebody else win it at that point because I'm not going to compromise the quality of work I do to get the job. And and a lot of those cases, to be at that price point, that's the only way to make it feasible. We're not around here to move around money. We're here to make money and, and make sure that the end user's happy with what they've paid for, and that should be the goal. But, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen some, not just TV, but I've seen some scary, scary stuff where you're like, oh, there's no way they pulled a permit here because like, <laughs> that's frightening. You know what I mean? You just sure. hope that... Uh, you know, I, I can I can speak to several things that I've seen. That's like, I tell you, it's with, the tra- with lighting, it's one thing. With the three forty seven volt lighting, it's one thing. It's like holy mackerel, yeah. come on. Um, but with the EV chargers, that's a whole yeah. other level of electricity. Oh, you're of talking course, about. of course. And you're going into the main switch gear of a of a condominium that could be twelve hundred amps. Like we're not yeah. <laughs> we're not talking about a, a blown filament on a A nineteen lamp here. We're yeah. talking some big time stuff. And if you don't do it right, it's It'd be catastrophic. And not only that, though, but those um, those faults can cascade through an electrical system, right? So if the fault is powerful enough, it can blow past the 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 it can blow right past breakers and and fuses and into the main switchgear of the building because mm-hmm. the load is so high it will blow through the 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 I've seen it happen um, at with lighting where. Um, uh, we the uh, someone put a screw. They thought it was the lighting was wired wrong, but they put a, someone was installing signs in a factory, and they put mm-hmm. a screw through a piece of BX, and the um the that screw uh, blew through the contactor that controlled all the lighting on the main panel, mm-hmm. and set the panel on fire. Good lord. Yeah, because it was just such a huge whack because it was you know three forty seven volt or whatever set the panel on fire, and they they blamed us. And so we went and figured it out, but it wasn't us. It was ended up being this little screw. Um, mm-hmm. But one more question. I read an article last week on the EVs. I read an article that they're changing from 400-volt batteries to 800-volt batteries. 
okay? Um, because 800 volt battery, or there's like a, a move towards this at Tesla, where the 800 volt batteries will significantly reduce the charging time of a battery. You'll be able to hammer it with more juice, okay? So it's interesting. You know, people, I did people not read this article. I'll send it to you, okay? And doesn't that sound like you're starting over? First question, okay? Because, mm -hmm. and two, like how big are these cords going to be? <laughs> On, that you're plugging into the vehicles. Like, is that even practical from your, like a lot of this stuff, scientists are cooking up in labs and all this sort of stuff, but you're in the field. Is that practical for somebody to have a, an amp cord that big in their hand and be plugging it into an electrical vehicle in a parking garage somewhere? Well, I know for the infrastructure side, depending on, on what the load is and what charges we're supplying, that's, that's what we're going to base the wire size on. Um, for, if you're talking about a larger battery, and a larger draw to charge said battery, then they're going to have to design the chargers to be able to handle that. So it'll be it'll trickle down effect, right? I'm sure we'll we'll figure it out when it comes. But that's an interesting question. Like you're going to hit a tipping point where it's like, wow, how, how do you even make this happen? Um, I'm going to look into this. You send me that article. I, I I'd like sure. to to peruse it, but. Uh, <laughs> Like with anything, everything evolves to, to, to fit the demand, right? If that's where it's going, I'm sure there'll be a viable solution to make it happen and a charger that'll make it happen as well. So I'm sure just like with everything else, if, if it does go that route, we'll evolve to be able to handle it and, and be able to execute it. It makes sense. I know I know the, the goal here, it's like with a, a fuel, uh, like a, a, your regular combustion engine, it's all about fuel efficiency, right? So if you can get a quicker charge and a longer distance off of the said charge, that's the way to go, right? So I'm sure inevitably we knew it was going to go that way. You're going to try to get, you know, 800 kilometers off a, off a, a battery as opposed to, let's say, 400, where we're, I think that's roughly what the tipping point is right now. So who knows where we're going to be in a couple of years from now. It'll be interesting, though. It's, it's fun to watch. Just like with lighting, it's fun to watch things evolve and see where we're going to be in a couple of years. They should be speaking to the people on the street, though, Greg Eric. Because uh, it, it, there's they're often excluded are the people in the trenches. Jason Chambry, thank you, man, for being a guest. This was a great conversation. Enjoy thank it you so time. much, yeah. Jess. Uh, mm -hmm. And if before you go, folks, get that computer out, get that cell phone out, and get crazy. Go to tcpi.com, Greg Eric. Put light where you need to see it. Where you need to see, I mean. How about that? And that's yeah. what we talked about today to some degree with your, your paracube thing. Q, the QTL fix from TCP actually angles the light. So it puts it out where you need to see, not down where you're not looking, but out where you're looking. Check them out. They're V-shaped dial lighter, they're strip fixtures, and they're high base. More to come on that. TCPI.com. And, of course, the National Association of Innovative Lighting Distributors. That's right. Get educated. Get associated. Come on. LS Evolve. We got all the committees on UVC, Dark Sky coming in hot. Join us. And join, you know what, if you're going to join, get involved, man. Join a committee. That's what you got to do. That's how you, you influence the lighting industry. That's right. And, of course, NCQLP exam coming up in November. Register for that at ncqlp.org. If you've made it this far, I speak on behalf of Jason and Greg. Hey, thanks for listening. Bye for now. Pleasure.